Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me today are two of my regular panel. First, we have Three Moves Ahead founder and strategy expert, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. I'm an expert again. Yay! I'm glad to be here. Uh, Sorry, hang on. PR flack. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I meant that. (laughs) Uh, And we also welcome back freelance writer, Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. And finally, we welcome back our old friend, game designer, Dave Heron. Hi, thanks a lot. Who's a semi-regular panelist at this point. We have a Sem- lot of... Uh, semi-regular panelist. Uh, yeah, it's... I'll take what I can get. Oh, it's a good, th- it's a, it's a good thing. We've got our, our, our bench is getting deeper and wider all the time. It's awesome. And, you know, I mean, really, you outrank Soren Johnson, who's still just an ex-intern. Uh, so, wow. way to go, Dave. Uh, so, today we're going to be talking about uh, Acts of God and major disruptive events in strategy games. I guess you could almost call this the uh, germs part of the guns, germs, and steel, uh, you know, trinity. Uh, but the the thing that put it put me in mind of it was a an article that was being passed around Twitter uh, the other day about the plague in Justinian Byzantium, uh, which kind of put paid to a lot of the Eastern Roman Empire's uh, reconquest of the Western Empire. And it just got me thinking about the sheer number of times you find major events like an unexpected plague, uh, a famine, something like that, sort of changing the strategic landscape really swiftly, really, really suddenly, and uh, really playing havoc with the ability of rulers and uh, great leaders to plan and react effectively. And it got me thinking that for all that you know, strategy games tend to prize historical realism and such. A lot of them really don't want to touch major disruptive events with a 10-foot pole. There's very few strategy games that I can think of that really can uh, have the entire game suddenly radically altered by a plague. And I kind of want to talk about why that is. I think the first answer is rather obvious, is you don't want to have, if games are about systems, understanding systems and mastering systems, you don't want to have a player's hours of work completely undone by, oh, sorry, some some flea just showed up in your port, and now all your armies are dead. Uh, So there's that resistance to having the type of randomness or historical oh my god, what the hell just happened thing happened to you in a long-term uh, strategy game. I mean, I think that's one reason why many designers, especially in the grand strategy games that we're thinking about, of a Justinian conquest, that's only really one type of strategy game. In those types of games, you don't want to have the player's work undone uh, completely or completely hampered by uh, something they have no control over. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that the... You know, you talk about the the point of these games being sort of systems design and systems optimization. I mean, imagine, if you will, a, a theoretical game where you knew that at some point your leader could get struck by lightning and that, and he would just get wiped out for no particular reason, just poof, gone, right? So now you've created these sort of two play styles. One is a defensive play style where you make sure you've got lots of other leaders waiting in the wings, and presumably that would cost you some level of resources. And the other one is to just sort of go all out, play the game with one leader, and just hope that he doesn't get hit by lightning. You've created a situation where the player's choice there has no real strategic input. It's simply a choice of play styles, and one of them will lead to success, and one of them will lead to failure effectively at a coin flip. And and I think that those things are very unsatisfying as a gamer. You know, I think I think definitely you two have sort of hit some of the things that has sort of plagued me as a designer. I think, uh, you know, 
I suspect most of the designers that I that I've talked to have entertained this notion of like having a twist in your game. You know, in the same way as like a as a, as like a novelist or a movie. You know, you get the audience coming in. They're all set and ready for 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 one type of of experience, and then all of a sudden it turns and it's this other thing. Um, and and I think we all end up failing at this point where design is largely about one thing. And I don't necessarily think about, about uh, just games design, but in general, and that's answering the question, what is the most important thing or part or intent? And it doesn't matter if you're making a poster or a video game, um, you really wanna uh, consider what is, that, what is that one thing that's most important. And in strategy games, ultimately that means like what's gonna determine success or failure. Um, and, and to change that halfway through, um, it either, you know, like as, as, um, was mentioned before, it sort of disrespects the player and invalidates partially what they've done before, or, um, it, uh, it means that that sort of luck, whoever has prepared, uh, for the correct random event to occur or not occur ends up being the winner. And that's not satisfying. And so I think what ends up happening is is uh, those sorts of world-changing events um, become sort of framing devices, um, and they end up being sort of the thing that triggers the uh, end game. And then what you have is not a game about that world-changing event. You have a game about preparing for that world-changing event. So you have the the building a bunker simulator or the the who can build the best bug out bag simulator <laughs> um which is which is fine but then the event really isn't about the gameplay it's not the most important part it's just like the measuring stick for which you then when you tally up all the victory points it's the framing device for that well i mean preparation for I want to give. We got to talk about city builders in a bit, and I want to talk about the importance of how that preparation for really bad things is actually an integral part of the city building design model. Uh, but to get to back to focus on the Justinian question, since that's uh, kind of where we're starting, it's not like you can't have small acts of God, though. And I think a lot of games do have these small things. You do have out, uh, Crusader Kings outbreaks of disease that can wipe out. In, in provinces or cities that can infect uh, sometimes very important members of your court. But because you have you know 50 members of your court and it's a long-term game, these acts of God might impede your short-term plans, but the long-term, like Dave said, the long-term intent of the game is not damaged in any way. Um, in some of the civilizations, like up to like Civ Four. if you put a city near a mountain, the mountain could actually be a volcano and you could have buildings inside your city or units inside your city get damaged by an eruption, um, have to redo improvements over and over again. Once again, these are acts of God, but they don't get in the way of the long-term uh, nature of the strategic game. Uh, so you can have small things, but as far as large, epic, empire-crushing moments, um, like Justinian's play, I really can't see of how they would work as elegantly i think right and i think i think in that civilization example um i don't think that the fact that that mountain could be a volcano really ever enters in uh right. to decision making whether you settle it and so then sure. it sort of becomes the seasoning right you don't build them a, a meal around salt well maybe you do i don't know really you, fancy you, you salt don't. you don't <laughs> 
If Rob Davio were here, here he'd just tell you no. You you don't. Salt is not the cornerstone of a meal ever. You've never never met my mother, have you? Oh God. Uh, but you know, I I think uh, you know, there's. I think you make a really great point, Dave, about uh, sort of the you, you suddenly the game turns into a planning the best bug out bag, and certainly, um, you know, I think one of the examples that comes immediately to mind is like the Mongol invasion. Uh, especially in the Total War games, where you know it's going to happen. And so if you're there on the eastern edge of the map, your entire strategy is like, okay, in, uh, God, oh, I, I don't even remember what year, 13-something? Uh, what year does the Golden Horde show up? Do you remember, Troy? The late 13th century, mid-13th yes. mid century. Yeah, so basically you're just, you just know this is going to happen. And so suddenly, you know, the, the, the Mongols show up and the entire force of, you know, the Byzantine Empire or the, uh, you know, the, Nov the kingdom of Novograd, uh, suddenly that entire military just sitting there camped on the border waiting, uh, which is, you know, it's just that that's, that's not fun. But it's, it's, it, it seems like a really tricky thing to, it is obviously a really tricky thing to balance because... At the same time, those those small those small acts of God you were talking about, Troy. Once those get adjusted for as the cost of doing business, then once again they've almost again dropped out of the decision making pro process. Oh, you're yeah, just, absolutely. You just assume like occasionally I'm going to lose some productivity to plague or something like that, and you're done. Yep. I mean, the one of the things with the Mongol invasion if you want to use that as an example uh, as an act of God and certainly for many people in Western Europe it did seem like an act of God God's punishment for all of their corruption was to get killed and raped by Mongols uh, is that if, is, the, is the whole scheduling thing and you know a true random act of God isn't something you can schedule for isn't something you can necessarily plan for um, as uh, Julian said you know if you're always way if there's, always, if there's a chance your guy is going to die then you can try to prepare for that and hedge a bit but if it's coming continually on schedule like you know that within four or five turns a whole bunch of bad guys are going to show up, be they Mongols or Spanish conquistadors or in uh, the Sunset Invasion uh, expansion yeah. for Crusader Kings, Aztecs from the West, just to even things out. So not just Novgorod gets its head beat in, sometimes France deserves it. Um, the whole scheduling of it really does twist the nature of the game. Now, you can argue this is not unique to... Um, a large disruptive event. A large part of strategy games is preparing for things you know that are going to come. Um, in Civilization, if you know that your opponent's going to be getting aircraft soon or they have a lot of oil, then you will be preparing in advance of that with anti-aircraft guns before they even discover flight. So preparation is to some nature integral uh, to strategy games in a part. But if you're having this historical setting, it does feel a bit off to preparing for something that was historically kind of a surprise, and yet you're preparing hundreds of years in advance for right, some but, rumor but health. Sometimes yeah. that's half the fun, right? I mean, yes, half the reason sure. we play, certainly in any military strategy game, you know, where you're playing a historical ceremony. We talked about this when we talked about Pickett's Charge, right? Yeah. I mean, people keep replaying this failed effort because they want to see if they can do it better. And so if you did make a game that was entirely about preparing your economy and culture for the coming of the plague, um, if that was the point of the game, then that's a that's an optimization engine, right? That, yep, that, right. that can be fun. I could see that working. 
Um, it's it's when the game was about something else, and now this other thing happened that acts as a kind of reset that I think um, is is mostly unfun. I mean, I think about um, we've talked occasionally about games like Dwarf Fortress on this show, and in some of the older builds of Dwarf Fortress, the current ones are so arcane I can't even play them. But when when the game was first getting discovered, some of the builds had these kind of random elements that you know you'd build up your entire city, and then all of a sudden you'd get a lava breakthrough that was effectively a random act of God that would wipe out seven hours of you know city building that you'd done underground. That was supremely unfun. Right? And nobody enjoyed that, and I think they removed most of that from the game. Should this be something that we, we, we see more of? Because I was just thinking when I was reading that piece about the way the plague sort of alters the trajectory of the Eastern Roman Empire. And you can argue that a little bit. Uh, you know, There were obviously a ton of other factors in play at that time, but it clearly plays a major role in how it changes the strategic picture. And when I read about that, I guess it sort of goes back to you know the why do we play these historical strategy games? I read about that, and I, that's like, oh, that's that's something I haven't really experienced in a game. It's it's another aspect of history, you know, I kind of want to touch and, and play around with. And so I read about that, and I think I would kind of enjoy a game where suddenly... You know, a plague sweeps through Europe, and a lot like th- a lot of things are suddenly overturned. Like you don't have the manpower, your economy is slowed down. That sounds interesting, but then every time I think about how that could be integrated into a game, I run to the problem you're you're you're, you're talking about, uh, Dave and Julian. That the game, if the game is about something else, then that's totally going to suck. But if you make the game about that catastrophic event then it totally changes the context of it, you know? Then it becomes a game about the eve of this plague. But then, then right. why, why does it work in City Builders? Is it because in City Builders, you know, part of what you're... Part of the intent of the game is to sort of build this bulwark against disaster and therefore hitting the button for Godzilla is actually kind of fun. I mean, at least the way I tend to play City Builders, I tend to use those things as events that I trigger, not ones that just randomly show up. Right. And and, and actually, I, I sort of in, in prepping for this, I sort of was tackling that exact question, Julian. And, and what I came what I came to was, if you change the the vector of the game, then why didn't you start it at that point? So what I'm talking about is not a city builder, but a city like rebuilder. So so if you want to make a game about uh, a flood or about uh, how a hurricane affects a city, then why don't you start the game you know after Hurricane Sandy hits New York City? And now this game is about um, it's about an optimization engine, but it's about making sacrifices as opposed to building something up. And then is that is that even more compelling? Like like balance, you know, you have limited amount of resources. Do you give money to the Coney Island uh, Business Association or like the completely legitimate business association of Brighton Beach, right? Like, uh, is is that interesting? Is rebuilding as interesting as building? And I, I challenge, and I think, I think maybe it's not. I think it could be, but then we're talking about something very different because then it's no longer a disruptive event. Then that is the game. Uh, it's not a game that, it's not an event that has disrupted you. Your game is dealing with a crisis. It's a crisis management right. game, crisis management system. It's no longer a disruption that requires you to rethink 
uh, strategies to reorient, to undo what's been done. It's not a disruptor anymore. Uh, but city builders certainly do have, I mean, I think about, um, and they, I think Julian's right that city builders are largely about building, putting systems in place to stave off disaster. And I think about things like uh, droughts in uh, Children of the Nile, where you can have really, the Nile just will not flood for three or four harvest seasons in a row. So you have to make sure you have your granaries ready. This is something that can happen to you. There's nothing you can do to fix it in Children of the Isle. It's just sometimes there are bad <clears> seasons. <throat> so you prepare around that. Um, and starting in many of the impressions historical city builders, starting out, you will get diseases. You will have, because you don't have a health infrastructure yet. So you have to find a way to keep the population not that dense, but still manageable, or else you'll have people getting sick and you won't be building up as right. quickly. Um, these aren't major disruptors, but they are the sort of thing that, until you learn to master the system, can send you down a spiral. Things can go get really, really well, but then one of these things happened, you're not prepared for it, and you can spiral into bankruptcy. Um, and this is all about learning how to master and understand the system. But right. uh, yeah, so... Right. Like, and I, I would say that those aren't disruptive at all. I would say that that is, that is the system. Those are the variances within, like that's a standard, devi- a drought within three, three, three years, that's in, within the standard deviation. And the game is about figuring out um, how, to accom- how to accommodate those uh, variations through redundancies, through, through storage as of, you know, trading, trading, uh, you know, capacity for, uh, you know, uh, speed basically, um, and and I think I think what this is t- talking about is is about a, a completely changing the game. And what are the decisions that what are the interesting decisions that come about after your uh, entire plan has been uh, uh, destroyed or or rendered invalid? Um, and for a strategy game, that becomes that becomes pretty tough. So, I remember. Uh... A few months ago, the guys on Idle Thumbs were replaying uh, Tropico uh, after playing the SimCity beta. And one of the things that I think it was Chris Remo was talking about is something that really fascinated him was the way the difference in context between disasters in Tropico and disasters in, say, SimCity. Where in SimCity, you have the story of almost like it's a standard, you know, first world Western city where you have all these. Uh, you have the capacity to really quickly rebuild infrastructure, raise funds, uh, sort of fix the damage. Uh, and so even like dire disasters, you know, massive earthquake, uh, a giant lizard attack, uh, you know, just normal stuff that happens uh, in a Western city, um, you're, you're able to sort of re- recover uh, fairly quickly because you can just take out a loan, you know, clear away the rubble, put in, uh, you know, new you know, new emergency response infrastructure, boom, you're done. Uh, and oh, you know, in fairly short order, uh, you can sort of resurrect uh, a wounded city. Whereas Remo was talking about what, what was really fascinating about Tropico is just that the context is you're kind of this uh, banana republic. And really your your economy isn't that resilient in Tropico. In Tropico, you kind of have to run a series of monocultures. You know, you're either strip mining your island uh, or you've gone all in on tourism. And you really, it's really hard to diversify and build up a huge reserve of funds to respond to disruptions. But that actually ends up making disruptions much more interesting in Tropico than they are in, say, SimCity. Because in Tropico, you know, if a tsunami hits and wipes out your tourist beachfront, that's your economy. It's gone. 
And it really, and chances are you don't have a huge cash reserve to fix that. And so then it really does become this game where one minute you're playing a nor- normal city builder uh, and just trying to plan for normal things that, that are going to happen. And the next minute it is a crisis management sim where you've got a very small window in which you can respond effectively and try to salvage a situation after a natural disaster. In SimCity, you can almost always salvage something. In Tropico, you can have a death spiral fairly quickly. And I actually find that, I actually find that kind of an interesting dynamic. I never had that problem in Tropico. I guess maybe because I did ha- have a more diversified economy, I could always generally recover from you know, oil spills or tsunamis oh, I, or tornadoes. I, I definitely, I, I definitely I, think there's a subtext here that Chris Remo might suck at Tropico. Okay. Don't get me wrong. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that I think that's I think one of the problems. We, I mean, we mentioned this in Tropico many times that the uh, the subject, the game mechanics don't necessarily support the subject matter. Um, I think it would like to be more Banana Republic than it actually is. Yeah. Um, it would be nice if there were games where there were city builders where that sort of where, you know, a, a famine, like you're playing Children of the Nile and, and Moses shows up and starts smiting firstborn type things. You know, th- that sort of literal act of God would be a nice disruption. You might have to recover from an uh, entire generation wiped out. Woohoo. Um it might be nice if city builders did that more, but I, I, I do think, I take issue with the idea that these aren't necessarily disruptive events. I mean, they aren't major disruptors necessarily, uh, but if they're the type of thing you're, that you have not prepared for, uh, then they're disruptors that teach you the system, just in the same way that, you know, the first time you experience a oh, monster... I the, hate that, though. But the same thing is, you know, the first time, if you don't expect the Mongols to show up, you learn to expect the Mongols to show up. Yeah. And then you yeah, build around I, that. that. So, I hate games where you play them for three hours and mm-hmm. then you realize, oh, because I didn't build a fire station, I lose. Right? I mean, th- that is the worst way to learn a game. And, and, I, and I would say that especially, like, if, if you were to add in some sort of variability it would it would just become uh, you know it, it would it would be terrible I, I i'm going to challenge sort of if i may julian to put on his game designer hat and and because i think uh you know i've played a couple games of agricola with julian and his sort of <laughs> one of one of his favorites but it's a, and and if there ever was a game that had sort of system optimization mechanics right at the front that's about basically being the most average uh, sort of system you can you can you can create you know it's about being resilient if you were to take Agricola and then in the final let's say third of the game we randomly revealed and we said pigs are worth 10 times the points <laughs> or or your fish are worth nothing how, how would that make you feel about Agricola Julian I would how hate do you think it that- I would hate it because to me the the nature of that game and and to me and the nature of a lot of strategy games are about that that uh, that treadmill of mastery you know I mean Raf Koster talks about that in the book Theory of Fun where he talks about that that process of always being just challenging enough that failure is an option but feeling like you are mastering the system and when that stops it tends to stop being all that fun um, or it becomes a different kind of fun it becomes like a kind of solitaire fun where you're just flexing a muscle that you've got well developed and if you took a game like Agricola and added that kind of randomness to it uh, at the end. I think you've fundamentally altered the game. And it's not, I'm not one of these people that thinks there should be no randomness in games. I just feel like 
if there if there's randomness in a game, it needs to be understandable randomness, right? It needs to be like calculated. So you can sit here and say, oh, well, I can do this thing if I roll a 12 on two dice, but I'm probably more likely going to roll a seven. So I need to plan my strategy accordingly. Um, acts of God tend not to be that way. They tend to be fairly binary. And, and, and I would say that acts of God, if we really are talking about disruptive events in a strategy, and what we are talking about is that the path to victory is disrupted. And in Agricola, it is a game at the, at the onset. It is about being the most average subsistence farmer possible, right? That is, that is, Yay, that is theme. And, <laughs> right. And then if you were to switch it and say it is like that, and then all of a sudden it turns into be about the best pig farmer in the world, <laughs> it, like that would completely, uh, I, I think, would invalidate that 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 sort of system. And 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 I think that that you run you run the risk of truly disruptive games. Um, I don't. I I I, I, I I it is something that I've been struggling with for a while, and it's actually something I'm struggling with in a board game I'm working on right now. I don't think we have to have a disruptive game necessarily change the entire nature of what the game is about. I mean, to go back to Julian's, you know, I'm sorry, Julian Rob's uh, initial uh, idea flash, Justinian. The game is still about building and managing an empire. That doesn't change just because his plan to conquer uh, the West became undone. Uh, so you can certainly have disruptive events that undo your plans, but don't change the nature of what the game is about, that don't change the rules. Then, so I, then I would say they're irrelevant. Then they become seasoning. Then they're not Then they're not disruptive. Then No, then I, I th think they're absolutely disruptive. I don't think you have to disrupt the rules to be too, too, to disrupt the experience. I mean, but then you end up with that civilization volcano, right? It, 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 it's not, a, it doesn't factor into any of the important decisions. However, okay, so I, I want to say Rome, maybe Rome, and maybe Medieval Two uh, handled okay. this pretty well in Total War, uh, where in those games, I remember plagues actually could be fairly disruptive. Because remember, remember there was an interesting dynamic in those games where, uh, like in any Total War game, the more troops <clears throat> you cram into a city, the more you contribute to public order, right? So occasionally you'd ha like I remember there would be be situations where. I would be in a newly occupied, you know, territory, a lot of occupied cities, lots of troops on garrison duty and everything, and a plague would break out. And soldiers were just as were just as prone to die in plagues as civilians. And so you could have a situation where in the space of a few turns, you'd have your entire occupation force just get gutted and you'd have no army. And so one of the interesting things was if a plague broke out and it was bad enough, it was it was disruptive enough to make it work for me because I remember vividly being like, "Oh shit, we got to get these troops out of that city before they all die of plague." Uh, and that's an right. interesting. That's an interesting strategic trade-off. I mean, that's do you take the troops out and risk the city rebelling, right? Hoping that maybe the plague will kill off some of the rebels as well while the soldiers are out, or do you maintain the public order because you really need that city and you hope uh, the soldiers don't die that fast? I mean, I've had so many generals in Rome Total War just die of the plague and my Ooh. plans counted on them. Um, or another thing I just love that they did. This is an interesting example of like, this is how decision-making changes. What if you have a general who's a plague carrier and he's yep. badly needed? This happens in, this happened in Rome. This happened in medieval. Yep. You'd have a general, uh, perhaps a great general, you know, basically uh, Bessalarius. You know, he is, you know, he's, he's your guy. You need him badly. And he's a plague carrier. And on one of your like most important frontiers, a war has just broken out, and you need your top-ranked general over there. But if he goes out there, there's a 
good chance he's going to spread the plague throughout the entire area and totally wreck your economy. Do you do it or you don't? And that I, that that's that's the kind of thing I actually find interesting. I'd like to see more in games where suddenly normal commonplace decisions become hugely consequential. This is kind of what we mean right. by disruption, right? It's like, I just want to move this this stack under this general from point A to point B. It's the simplest you know, thing to do in a, in a military strategy game. Suddenly, in the context of a plague outbreak, that becomes a potentially apocalyptic decision. Right. So, so that decision in that game is imbued with meaning in the context of the, the game about amassing power uh, at a rate um, uh, until the point where everyone turns against you when you make the play for Roman and, and you, that sort of sw switches. But what that isn't is that isn't a game about the plague. And sort of what the question originally was is how come games aren't made about these world-changing events? And I think that, it, that there's a very big distinction about complicating the system or complicating the decisions through some sort of... Um, just uh, negative trade-offs. Like we're talking about trade-offs. Do you do you do you um, for short-term gain? Do you do you uh, take long-term uh, losses um, versus a game about dealing with a plague? Yeah, I don't think the question was why aren't there games about these? Why aren't there games that make us deal with these events? Was actually it's a little bit of both. Really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely, the, the two overlap. I don't think we, should, we just have to focus on games that are about uh, the events because that's clearly something completely different. Um, we don't get many of those either, though. Well, we, we we don't. But I mean, those moments again, we go back to the whole crisis yeah. management sim. We get back to is there a game about? Ring around the rosy. Um, well, because uh, often of I, I think part of the reason we don't get those in the video game realm is those are fairly small concepts, right? And to make a whole video game, say about recovering from the flood in New Orleans, um, that that would be. I, I mean, I can imagine some indie designer being able to pull that off, but I don't think you're going to see a five million dollar budget for that right. game get allocated anytime soon. We do see it in board games a lot, actually, and um, and it, it tends to lend itself to some of the more interesting games out there. I mean, Pandemic <clears> was a game, you know, that sort of took everybody by storm that's entirely about dealing with global pandemic that's about to wipe off the population of the planet. There's, um, you know, a, a great game right now uh, about getting people out of a burning building, right? I mean, mm -hmm. these sort of narrow, high crisis moments lend themselves really well to sort of a study in game design for a given uh, board game type experience, but I don't think they lend themselves particularly well to the, the, the bigger video game world. Yeah, I think those are definitely the, the two examples you talked about. Um, really, those are both system optimization uh, games with a timer. You know, like the, does the do, can you finish it before the building fills up and you lose certain number of survivors, or I guess they're not survivors if they're dying, but uh, uh, or or do you do you come up with the cure before the you know you have so many outbreaks? Um, and I think that's possible, but it's not going to happen in one of these grand strategy games for sixty dollars. Right. That you know the expectation is, is that you sit down and you play it for nine hours. Something else is perhaps, and this is something that we, we talk about sometimes uh, too, is that PC games in general, I think, just have this um, problem with going bigger rather than smaller, pretty much. Given the choice between you know two options, chances are you're going to get a wider scope of time, a uh, broader lens uh, you know, on history. And I think that can be a little problematic because even like even major... 
uh, disruptions, you know, a, a major natural disaster, uh, a plague. When you when you put that in the context of a you know, three hundred year strategy game or something, even those major disruptions sort of the magnitude seems a little smaller, right? It's just you know, it's you know, a a, a plague might change you know the the strategic picture for a while, but if the game's three hundred years long, it becomes like you said, Dave, kind of irrelevant. You can just sort of discount it, like okay, so there was a blip there where my economy tanked. Too bad. 250 more years to play. That's fine. And I, I, I think something that, you know, something that these games could do a bit better is, again, like focusing on those smaller topics where those disruptions can be a little more disruptive. I think this is why it's able to happen in, in uh, Rome and me- Medieval 2 is, is that for, throughout that period you can have uh, you know these massive plagues that sort of screw up uh, an entire area for, for a period of time and, and change the picture just enough to force interesting decisions. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take issue with the idea that because a disruption doesn't absolutely change the nature of the game that is therefore not a disruption. I'm thinking about many of my experiences in Europa Universalis, for example, playing the, playing the Ottomans. Look at the Ottoman Empire. This is a country that, you know, the standard thing is you expand over Anatolia and then you expand into Europe and then you're pretty much done. But sometimes you get stuck in a civil war and you find out you can't expand into Europe because they're just too strong. But they're also not after you because they're fighting among themselves. What, so your, your plan, your original conquest, has been disrupted. It's like Justinian. He has a plague, so he can't continue his war. But it's not like the Byzantine Empire stops, right? They just change their strategy. They decide the West's not worth it. So it's not like so Austria becomes a fortress. That is a disruptive event for my strategy. It's the civil war prevents me from pursuing my expansion into the Balkans and to Hungary and Austria. That's a disruptive event. That's civil war. And it forces me to turn the Ottomans into a colonial power. So I settle Africa and I settle, you know, the Spice Islands because my strategy has been disrupted. Uh, the Civil War is a disruptive event. Um, it's not an act of God. So I don't want to it because it generally is caused by a bunch of other things going on within the country that are usually my own damn fault. Uh, but it's not like, you know, we have to have a disruptive event thereby say, well, clearly now the game is all about how important this one damn thing is. A disruptive event is often just something that, to my mind, a disruptor is something that forces the player to recal- that forces to, 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 to recalculate, forces the player to rethink, forces the player to reevaluate. That's all we need a disruptor to be. I don't think a disruptor has to be something that transforms the game into an, oh my god, I thought I was looking at a vase, but in fact it's two women <laughs> looking at each other. It's something, I think a disruptor is just something that forces the player to reevaluate, forces them to to adjust. Um, I don't think we need to think of, in strategy game terms, especially grand strategy game terms, conceive of disruptor as something entirely overly uh, dramatic. Uh, not that these things aren't overly dramatic. Uh, imperialism. One of my favorite uh, computer games of all time. The disruptor in that game continually is the first person to find dreadnoughts. If you can get dreadnoughts first, that's a technological disruptor. Once again, not an act of God. But if you can get, if you're the first person to dreadnoughts, you can then just wipe the floor with every other fleet. It's completely, it's, it's a rush to dreadnoughts. Well, that's not a great multiplayer game. Uh, but that's a disruptive event. Right, um, so that triggers triggers an end an end condition. I think it's, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I mean, there are different types of disruptors. Only one type of disruptor, and so, so some disruptors are the types that, that, that hasten the end game. Right. Uh, discovery of nuclear weapons, usually technological ones, are ones that will hasten the end game. Uh, technological disruptors, but act of God disruptors or in the early and mid game can just be things that force the player to reevaluate, to to change strategies. And the best strategy games don't have don't just have one strategy to win. Um, so I think we should. I just, I just don't want to get hung up on the idea that a disruptor has to be something that makes the game completely different. Uh, yeah. Just uh, don't get hung up on that. It's interesting. I couldn't, I couldn't more, more vehemently disagree with, what, with, with everything you just said. Uh, and, and to me, that the fact that you, you bring up universal, Europe Universalis, which is like of all grand strategy games that I've played, like doesn't really have much of an ending and it's sort of like a game where you make your own rules and your yep. success is sort of like based on like how you feel about yourself when it's all said and done. <laughs> I think like, that's all fair actually. It's not yeah. it's not right? Like it's it's this isn't a game There's like, not like a giant screen that says you win with a big right, gold Right, yeah, you won, you lose, right? And it's sort of it's like um if you like for me I, yeah, I just, you know, it'll never I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see why that's a problem or an issue that the fact that there aren't clear Win conditions. So I have to, if, I'm, if I'm playing to enjoy myself and improve my empire, I have to, my strategy has to change. It's not like Justine was going to find some big win button if he was settled down in, in Rome for a while. I think it's a, it's a, maybe it's a, it's a sort of a, depending on how you frame what a game is, is, is sort of is where I think it comes into play. Okay, okay hang on. So I, I'm, I'm curious about this, Dave. Why does the fact that Europe Universalis is sort of this open-ended game. Why does why why does that uh, create problems for the argument Troy just made that all a disruptor really has to do is sort of maybe force you or encourage you to change tacks? Because I think in I think in a, in, a, in a game which 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 I, I find more fun where there is a more like clear-cut win or loss decision, especially in strategy games, right? Like where I can. I can critically and objectively say the choices that I made uh, led me to this conclusion, and that if I hadn't, if I wasn't so brilliant, I wouldn't have been able to to make those decisions. Right? Like that's one of the things. If I'm being honest, I like about strategy games that um, if you t if you if you put that in that instance where you're working towards something, and then all of a sudden you have to um, uh, change directions. Um, you're, you're sort of undoing that, that early work that you did before based on something that you couldn't really uh, see coming, you couldn't plan for, and it's just not going to be an optimal victory, right? It's, it's the sort of the min-maxer in me, how I like approaching strategy games, how I like designing strategy games, um, that, that I sort of, I find that, I find that uh, like philosophically invalid. So I think we all just learned that Dave has extremely narrow tastes <laughs> and is a bit of a gaming bigot. Uh, and only so... likes to be told he's a genius. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I want, earn, I... I want to earn. I want to earn the the game telling me I'm a genius. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, enough, enough of your genre racism, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but no. So I but I don't know. I I think listen listening to Troy there a moment ago. I start I started to think that to a degree. Maybe this is a Goldilocks problem, and the 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 problem and the re the the real issue we see is it, there are a lot of games with with disruptors in them, but the the trick is actually finding is actually making them disruptive without ruining the ruining the entire game. 
and that's actually kind of a tough thing to balance because I do think your example of like natural disasters in Civ, nobody makes a decision based on that really, and actually it never changes the trajectory of a damn thing. You've got you know a number of cities. What, what you lost one mill on a square? Who cares? But so that's that's an example of you have natural disasters there just for flavor, like oh the world can change things. Yeah, but not really. But you do want. I, I think the European Health example is a good one. I also think uh, it's it's funny for a game that I have a lot of problems with. I often come back to Victoria for an example of how to do something right or wrong. But in this case, it's uh, it's something Victoria Two I think does pretty well. Is um, you know if you're in the United States again, you're sitting there knowing that the game's counting down to the outbreak of the American Civil War, but. While that that could happen at any time, and while you're waiting for that to happen, the world keeps moving on, and you're posed with all these different. You know, you've you've got the question of what to do about Mexico. Uh, you've got the question of how to check, you know, British expansion uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you got all those issues got to be worrying about, but at any moment the game could sort of flip on you and suddenly your most important priority is dealing with the American Civil War and then you can go handle this other stuff. So how much, you know, how much do you prepare for that eventuality and how much do you continue to just interact with the world as if uh, the, everything's fine in, in the United States of America? And I think that's, that's, that's a tough balance to strike because if the dis, if the disruptive events are basically uh, just flavor, just like oh we're going to deduct some money from you this turn, then it's then it's irrelevant. You're right that that it's, that's not disruptive at all. But if suddenly it's here comes the plague and the world is effectively ending and all your plans lie in ruin, then it's too disruptive and nobody wants to deal with that. So. It seems like the real trick is just striking that balance between just enough disruption to pose new, new and interesting decisions, but not so much that basically it changes the entire goal of the game. That sounds reasonable. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what we, one thing we've clearly had to work on is, you know, what we what do we mean by disruptor? Um, this is something that I mean, I've been working on a post on disruptors for quite a while. I've been thinking about this, but if I, I write it, I end up throwing out two thousand words because it's. You want to specify. You want to be clear um, on what we mean by a disruptor or a disruptive event. I think. I mean, a Goldilocks problem is a good way to phrase it. But I mean, uh, God, Victoria. I mean, that that example just drives me up the wall because uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a good example. But it also reminds me that this is a case of uh, this is a game where because your choice really isn't much of a choice there. I mean, you always prepare for the civil war first. You always make sure that your troops are mostly northern troops. You don't recruit a whole lot of Virginians to fight in your army. I mean, they've changed it a little bit. But the, South gets at least some decent soldiers uh, along, but you know you Mexico will wait. The the, the British may not, uh, but you can generally colonize Oregon at a pretty good pace anyway. Uh, but I mean it's a, it's a disruptor. I mean it is kind of like the Mongols, only they're at the beginning of the. It's at the very beginning of the game. It's like in the first thirty years mm-hmm. of Victoria. So it's. It's a disruptor that's at the very beginning that you start planning for right away. And once it's gone, once that's eliminated, you now have another 70 years to do all the other stuff. Build your railroads, get your factories up, you know, colonize what's left of Africa if the French haven't gotten there first. Dominate 
the Caribbean, you know, all the things that the United States is geared to do uh, in that game. So I, I kind of, I mean, it's, it's a kind of, it's a scheduled event, but I hesitate to call it a disruptor because it is so obvious and so early mm. uh, that it's, it, it, that, that doesn't force you to change your strategy so much as it says, this is the first thing you have to deal with. Because you get events from the very beginning of the game reminding you, hey, slavery is kind of an issue here. You should make a decision about this. Um, so it's a constant reminder uh, as opposed to something that's going to come along and force you to recalculate. I guess the end of the Civil War, then you look at the landscape and say, well, what do I do next? Um, so it's kind of, but it, I mean, you're right. It is it's a type of decision that we would like to see uh, more in strategy games where you know a crisis is coming and you have to weigh your options, um, like your general uh, in Rome Total War example. I, 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 sort, I, I sort of, I, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying and I agree uh, to a point, but I think at the same time, there's never in Victoria, there's never a good time for the Civil no. War. <laughs> uh, and if you just no, <laughs> there's, this, this the is time true. is never right, uh, but if you if you sit there and just kind of put everything on hold while waiting for the civil war to happen, so you can deal with that, uh, you, your position will, will erode, uh, and some of uh, that glorious American manifest destiny stuff is going to get much harder to do uh, if you're sitting there sort of waiting to uh, win the civil war first, and then you. Then you work on your imperialism. Uh, so I, I, I see what you're saying. It's it's definitely scheduled. It's, there's no suspense to it. But at the same time, I think, I, I think I, I think it's an example worth looking at because it's something that players know is going to happen. But there's still trade-offs in how you want to deal with it. When the Mongols are coming, there's no trade-off. You just you just you know right on schedule. Well, there, 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 well there. There, there no there are there are trade-offs. The trade-offs are you know when do you start when do you stop annoying the neighbors to the west of you. I mean, that, that's kind of the right. trade-off. It's, you know, you're going yeah. to have to deal with them. You know they're coming. But the trade-off is when do you start making friends? Um, when do you start expanding? When do you build your forts? What do you spend your money on? And the trade-offs are building up towards that. And the trade-offs in Victoria, to use this as an example, once again, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on this, is that it's so early uh, that the trade-offs are, this is a, it's a starting trade-off more than a disruptive trade-off. And, and, and I think because, it, because it's early, I think it really, really illustrates the difference between it's just, it's a variable that you have to accommodate in your strategy. It doesn't disrupt you know your plan strategy it doesn't change the change the scenario so that you the direction that you are heading is now no longer going to be the path to victory and you need to uh, stop rethink and uh, and pivot and that's sort of where I I, I I that's how i think about it it's a variable not a disruptor julian i wanted to you mentioned a little while ago talking about uh, uh disruptive events and acts of god and natural disasters in city builders uh, and it seemed like you were using it as a, as a positive thing. Like this is this is this is a genre of games where, where that stuff is used fairly effectively. Uh, you know, on, on balance, if you look at the city builders uh, you, you've played, do do you enjoy a, a natural disaster? Do, do, is that an important part of the flavor for you? Well, it depends on the context, right? In Tropico, you know, I I, I sort of agree with your comments about Tropico, which I classify as a city builder, um, in that. You know, when you, if you've built up your entire economy on the coastline, and then the coastline gets wiped out, 
And that's sort of an unexpected thing. I mean, it's one out of 10 games that might happen or one out of 20 games that might happen in that way. Um, that that becomes the unfun part, right? Dwarf Fortress, which is also a city builder, had yeah. that going on for a while. Where I think it works is, you know, in, in the way I play SimCity, I don't play SimCity to win. Right? I, I'm not building for a particular end state. I'm I'm exploring and I'm, you know, it's, it's almost an act of expression in a sense. It's a little bit like playing Minecraft, right? You're building something up to um, for the sheer joy of building and seeing how the systems work and feeling like you've mastered a certain uh, system. Um in that environment, then being able to throw things at your city is a little bit like building a you know giant wall of uh, solo cups and then seeing whether you can knock them all down with one you know with one ball or something like that or or you know building some sort of structure and flinging things at it to see whether or not you built it well um, and that I actually do find in it's sort of engaging, right? You build a city, you think you've got it in great shape. You summon Godzilla to come in and, uh, you know, or the aliens to come down and see how your city reacts, see how well you actually built it. That's the way in which I think acts of God are fun. Um, but again, the difference there is I'm not halfway through building my city when the aliens attack. Yeah. I remember I was, I was saw something on Twitter a while ago that, um, our friend Kat Bailey was having a pretty good SimCity run, and she had sort of a high-tech uh, academic-based city, built a nuclear plant, powering the entire region and everything. And then Godzilla just comes out of the water and destroys her nuclear reactor and kind of renders her city radioactive. And... That was kind of the, that. From what I gathered, that was kind of the end of Cat and Sim City, or at least that particular city. <laughs> right, uh, but that that was an out. That was an act. That wasn't one she triggered, right? Right. Obviously. No, that was that was just kind of the game, just being like, screw you, uh, and it. I I just again, it, it goes back to that Goldilocks issue where you don't want it to be Dwarf Fortress, where it's like, hey, nice, nice, nice fortress you got here, lava flow. Uh, that's that that's going that's going to be really that's going to be really frustrating. But at the same time, I don't know. I, the, the, like building a city and then sicking natural disasters on it has always left me a, a little bit cold. Uh, just because I kind of, that that surprise element is actually important to me. Right. I actually want to be like, oh no, earthquake. So so in in, in Kat's sort of scenario. What happened was is she thought she was playing uh, a, a game about growing a city, getting the most population, making sure everyone's educated and fighting fires and stuff like that. When un unknowing this entire time, she was actually playing a Godzilla defense game. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and that's, that's totally valid. And I think, but, and, and it was sort of, it was mentioned earlier saying like, well, I guess that could have been a learning experience for her. And now she knows, and now she knows that, but the issue is that next time she plays, it may not be a Godzilla simulator, right? It may be a alien defense or a tornado simulator or or it may just actually be the try to get as many people in your city simulator. And this is this is sort of an issue with the with the random uh, sort of act a disruptive event that determines success or failure. I think the real disruptive events in the current SimCity are you're playing on a server with a bunch <laughs> of friends and you rely on them keeping their cities going and then they stop. Sure. And then you find your city is invaded by 
goons and criminals because they stopped playing. I mean, your act, the act of God <laughs> has nothing to do with the game, just with your friends getting bored. And I think that's going to be the major series of disruptive events in the current SimCity. Oh, that's actually that's actually interesting. Huh. I mean, it's totally valid. It, it is it is definitely a disruptive. So does that mean that, um, given that we know that that's likely to occur? Oh, that, people, that people I mean, are going to stop playing. <laughs> so does that mean that this that this notion of like when I when I hear about people playing SimCity, they always talk about uh, the new SimCity is a game about specialization. You are the oil city. You are the um, the casino city. But knowing that part of the system is at some point there's going to be this this change of event when the people next door become absentee landlords that you <laughs> that specialization that that unknown to ea and unknown to maxis that now this game this specialization is actually something that's going to lead you to to failure well see people thought they were building a they were playing a city builder and a population builder but actually what they were playing was a regional anarchy simulator right 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 <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, I've seen it happen. Actually, like I, I was on a server where my friends started to empty out and move over to a different server. And when I moved over to that server, I started three cities, and I think they've all left them, uh, just lying fallow. But when I was on a server, basically playing alone now, but surrounded by these vestigial cities, it was just, it was like the early stages of an apocalypse or something. Because suddenly, it's like, why are there arsonists busing in like every day now? And then, like a few days <laughs> the, later, the, the, later the, the, the arsonists take the bus. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 sort of like Star Tours, I guess, for like uh, pyros. Uh, but they they would come in by the bus load, and so it's like first there's like a rash of fires. Now that that's not good. And then I go and visit, look at my neighbor's city, uh, Paul Dean's. I look at his city, and it's just this burned out husk. And I don't even know that happened because I thought the I thought SimCity sort of like held it held your city in stasis. Uh, but I'm not entirely clear. He he abandoned his city, but he, he just hasn't logged in for a while. But when I look at his city now, it is a series of burned out like factories and tenement houses. And the arsonists have nothing left to burn. And so they're driving to my city uh, to burn shit. And then the thieves come and drive, drive into my city to ruin it. And that's... Um, that, that's that's actually that's actually an interesting example because it's it's a case where like SimCity's interconnectedness has created massive disruptions because the game was always meant to have people managing their cities as neighbors, uh, but what yeah what happens when suddenly half of the cities in a region no longer have a government? Yeah, there's a lot to be said about the SimCity's core design um, and the problems it has as a city builder. I think this is one of them. Um, that it's not the game. It's it's not really a traditional city builder. It's, it really is a weird MMO uh, that requires you to, to keep your guild collecting taxes. <laughs> so I guess, you know, to, to, to wind this down, I, I guess, you know, my, my, my question is twofold. One, I, I'd kind of like to hear just like survey like, Games that you think have really handled like this curveball question uh, well, and the other thing is after after we talked all this out, like, do you want to see more? Do you want to see more of that? Do you want to see more of these, uh, you know, disruptive events in, in, in strategy games where 
you know, stra- like with strategy games, predictability is death. Do you, is the solution to that a, a little more disruption? Certainly, uh, our friend John Schaefer seems to be playing around with that a little more with his design. Do you think that's a fruitful direction for strategy games to go? Or do you think there's enough objections to this whole concept that you're better off kind of doing, I think, what, what Dave is suggesting? You either make your game about these disruptive events, and that's what that's the, that's the theme, or you make a core strategy game where the randomness uh, isn't just going to screw you. Yeah, I think actually bringing up at the gates is is interesting, and 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 I know it's a problem that I you know John and I have discussed when he's come to visit, because um, he's sort of throwing um, two two sort of elements in the mix, and and one is that sort of that predictive. Um, uh, disruptive event or changing event that we were talking about and that he is weather cycles is going to be a large part of of his game rivers will flood if they don't it's not you know if certain renewable resources won't come back you know right. like certain things freeze up. over and become transportable yeah exactly and then the second sort of i think potentially is going to be the key to that is you have to move your city and so now you are um you understand uh, the player will understand uh, in the winter, uh, I will not be able to farm. I will have to have a certain amount of stores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I shouldn't, I can't really attack effectively. Um, but also they know that they have to move. And so they're not entirely sure um, of what of what what resources will be available in the in the moment when they when the the band plots its its caravans down and sets up the tents and sends us its scouts and sort of like that. And I think, where it may be successful is it's it's sort of segmenting the time in that I I think unlike say civilization especially Civ Five where Civ Five you created a strategy in order to win you decided that in the first ten turns you know you, you chose which uh, uh, civil sort of bonuses you want and your initial uh, technologies and then that was the victory condition you were moving towards and you that that decision held for the entire game. I think at the gates, um, it's going to be impossible for you to have that sort of foresight. And at the gates is going to be more about moment to moment uh, decisions, um, in which case it, it leads us back to that sort of that uh, create the best uh, bug out bag, the most versatile, the most uh, thing that can that can uh, sustain that sort of change. And uh, so we'll see. I have high hopes. Yeah, don't we all? I, I think... What kind of intre- what what interests me about at the gates in many ways is the fact that this is a this is a game that from the start is being designed to put so much emphasis on reacting to acts of God to seasonal variants uh, just what you're talking about Dave this this whole uh, it's not a game where you just pick out your strategy and then scaffold you know scaffold your way toward to the pinnacle this is a thing where you have things you hope are going to happen but that's not guaranteed you're going to have to keep moving you have to keep reacting uh, the the entire game is designed around reacting to uh, the caprices of fortune and trying to trying to plan ar- plan around that and I think something that you know makes that less satisfying than a lot of the other games we've talked about is strategy games in so many cases don't leave room for acts of god because the scale you're you're operating on you are basically this um, this immortal supervisor who is steering france or a scottish clan or something through history and your 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 intent is always you know driving driving the action 
and you're going to outlast any plague you're going to outlast any weather pattern uh and, and so it you know, in many ways, these are strategy games that don't leave room for acts of God because the only the only the only God that exists in these games is kind of is kind of you, uh, your your mm-hmm. your intellect, your ability to plan, and that creates a real problem. Wow, that's deep, <laughs> <laughs> and that just and that creates a real problem for creating those sort of reactive challenges uh, for the player. You almost have to the player has too much capacity, and what really interests me about at the gates is it's as much about your uh incapacity as it is uh your ability and that is i think a really promising direction for strategy games to go and it's something that uh, this is why i think this disruption topic is is kind of important because we we've played so many variants on laying the groundwork and building an empire to stand the test of time now i kind of want you know that combination of disaster management and uh you know imperialism right i think i it, it's definitely interesting it's definitely risky i think uh john's sort of recent obsession with roguelike games i i just have a feeling that that's going to be i think a lot of the things that make roguelike special um i i suspect are going to creep into at the gates and and uh, and so that's that's so this this notion of, of reacting, doing using what using uh, what you were given, uh, it, it was some sort of randomness um, to to sort of uh, survive. Um, the idea that it's going to be a much shorter game that you're going to probably play this over and over again. That's where the random maps come in, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's going to be the reaction of Troy's there. Oh no! Uh, and then you have my sort of like, oh, that's, I want to sink my teeth into a two-hour strategy game. That's going to be exciting. I want to play it a dozen times. Well, that does it for our topic of uh, our discussion of Acts of God and disruptive events. Uh, obviously, we left out the most important kind of disruptor, the Romulan disruptor. So next week, we're going to be talking about disruptors in Star Trek and discussing the role they play in that universe. I'm sorry. I just, I, not, I'm sorry. Not the, really. Not really. No. <laughs> but... Next week, we will hopefully be talking about RTS campaigns, and then the week after that, hopefully I'll be able to spend a little time with the Heart of the Swarm multiplayer and give that game its due. So it's possible you're looking at two weeks in a row of some Heart of the Swarm talk, Uh, but next week we're going to be doing RTS campaigns. Uh, So look forward to talking to you again then, and my thanks to our panel for spending this afternoon with me, and as always, thanks to Michael Hermes for cutting this all together. Uh, Until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Night, all. Good night. Good afternoon.